0: Welcome to Founder Views. My name is Costa. I'm your host and co-founder of Web for Realty, a SaaS company that I bootstrapped out of my parents' basement with no money and no tech experience into a fully remote company doing seven figures in ARR. I'm taking you through my SaaS journey in real time as I talk about business situations I'm going through, thinking about, or just find interesting. My purpose is not to give you the answers, but to spark something in your mind that can help improve your business along the way. Hey everyone, if you haven't already heard, SASTER Annual at Home is SASTER's fully digital, immersive two day conference being held on September 2nd and 3rd, gathering 50,000 of the world's best SaaS executives, founders, and entrepreneurs. Grab your free keynote pass today, and you'll get to hear from leaders at Slack, PagerDuty, Twilio, Stripe, and more. Hurry though, tickets are limited and going fast, so book your tickets by visiting sastranual.com. That's S-A-A-S-T-R-Annual.com. All right, Tom, thank you so much for joining me on the Founder Reviews Podcast. Really excited for you to be here. Thanks for having me. Looking forward to it. Awesome. So if you want to kick things off, uh, why don't you just tell our audience a bit about yourself and exactly what... Cascade does?
1: Yeah, sure thing. So um, my name is Tom. I'm uh, the CEO and the co-founder of Cascade. So I'm uh, 38 years old, originally from the UK, but I'm now living over in Sydney, Australia, which is where um, our headquarters is as a company. Um, we've also got offices in Portland, where I'm actually recording this uh, podcast from, and also in Seoul in South Korea. Um, so my background originally was in very much a corporate So pretty kind of down the line. I worked for Bank of America and HSBC and a couple of other kind of like financial service companies, pretty corporate, um, pretty kind of like linear career trajectory into kind of like started in product management, went up to kind of like more senior management. Um, And I I left that about, I think it was about eight years ago uh, when we first started thinking about setting up Cascade. Um, so I set it up with uh, my best friend and co-founder, Eric, um, who is, I suppose you would say more the technical side of the business. I'm kind of more the, the business side. If you think of the, the typical kind of like founder duo, you've got one technical, one business. But I'm I'm pretty technical as, as founders go, I think, on the business side still. And he basically landed in Australia and he sort of said, hey, Tom, let's start a startup. And he's the kind of guy that... When he asks you to do something with him, you kind of say, yes, he's one of these people that everything he does, he sort of like nails really quickly. He's very technical. He's a fantastic photographer. He's published books, um, all kinds of different things. Um, And so he was like, you want to start a startup? And we were like, sure, why not? Um, And we sort of sat in a cafe and said, "Okay, what should we do? And I think a lot of people, they kind of like have an idea that, you know, comes to them in the shower or on the toilet or something. And it's like a very organic process. With us, it was a little bit different because we actually didn't know what we wanted to do. So what we did is we sort of said, all right, well, what's what's the worst things that have happened to us this week um, that we think we could maybe do better? Like what what was what was bad about this week? And so we kind of both took turns. And I said that um, one of the challenges that I'd had in my job, um, which was uh, still in the banking sector kind of at that time, was that I was really struggling to motivate my team around some of the great successes that they'd had um, in delivering projects and launching new products um, in the FS space. And the fact that a lot of their contributions had actually made the difference between the, the whole bank uh, in Australia delivering its its target and everybody getting a bonus. And I was getting a lot of plaudits for that as kind of like the, you know, the senior person in the team, but I was really struggling to kind of show the connection that their results had had and their projects had had to the overall kind of performance of, of the bank as a whole, even though it was a very direct line and looking back on it. I now realize that part of that was to do with my own failure as a leader. I was pretty young at the time. I think I was like 27, 28. Um, And part of it was also because the systems that kind of like organizations have to track um, goals, whether that's like goal management software, HR software, task management software, none of those systems have any real connection to the strategy of the organization at a higher level. And so building those connections is a very manual process and is done through essentially leadership and and, verbal cues. Um, So we kind of settled on that as the problem we wanted to solve with software, the connection between activities and actions and outcomes at a strategic level. So we started off kind of like building this prototype uh, of the product that is now called Cascade, which is a a strategy execution tool. Um, And we tested it a little bit within the bank, um, tried it out on a couple of different teams, got some really good feedback. Um, And eventually kind of like built the company that that we have today. So we've got about uh, 40 employees now, um, uh, companies in about kind of 60, probably 70 different countries, around about 25,000 active users, um, spread over about a thousand different companies. So it's kind of it's come a long way in a short time. uh, And it all kind of started with that. Yeah, that little moaning session in a coffee shop.
0: That's amazing. Thanks so much for, for painting that picture as you're describing it. Uh, you know, sort of like laughing to myself, cause there's so many similarities, similarities, uh, with my story and my partner, like I'm non-technical as well. He's more technical. Uh, we would meet up literally every Friday, just thinking of ideas and that's how our business was formed as well. So, uh, that's pretty funny, but, um, okay. So that's awesome. That, that sounds great. So 40 employees, 25,000 active users, uh, offices, um, uh, in a few places um sort of like are, are you guys bootstrapped or did you get funding for growth or how yeah that
1: so we're um we're 100 bootstrapped um so we basically we're like kind of the worst founders i think from a from a straight down the line perspective like we we've obviously neither of us had ever done anything like this before straight out of the corporate job we kind of probably arrogantly assumed that we could just start a business and it would work and i think I think we got lucky, but I think we could have easily got unlucky. Like there were certainly a lot of moments that were pretty difficult, but we ended up really not engaging with the startup community at all. It's a little bit smaller in Australia anyway than it it would be if you were in like Silicon Valley or something like that. Um, But we were very much kind of like heads down building the product. We managed to secure a couple of um, good deals. Um, Like, I I mean, our first customer took maybe like three to four months to sign. And that was a very small one. Our second one, our second customer was um, another financial services, like contact of mine. So the first few customers were contacts. Um, But it was a really, it was a decent contract size, really decent for a small startup. And they're actually still a customer today, like eight years on. Um, So we, we basically just grew using kind of like You know, next customer, next check comes in. If it's 20K, it's 20K. If it's 50K, it's 50K. They were the good ones, of course. Um, And then we'd use that money to try and hire the next employee, you know, and and it was very, very organic. Um, So we're still bootstrapped today. The 100% of the equity is still owned by, um, almost majority is owned by the employees. And then we actually have a couple of our customers that we've basically done some kind of trades with along the way. So we had like one customer that was, A coding shop. They had their own coders. And we basically said, hey, can we have two of your coders for a year? And an exchange will give you like 2% equity. So, we kind of really like traded hard off that equity, not in financial terms, but almost like trading favors for equity. And it kind of like, it was the, yeah, I suppose the ultimate bootstrapping, but it it worked pretty well. And we've managed to retain about 90, probably 95% of the equity within the the founders and then a couple of members of the team that joined later on so we're we're pretty happy with that I think we're pretty lucky the fact that it was a B two B product versus a B two C definitely made that possible um, and I think the fact that we started off with customers in the financial service space where you know the IT budgets are a little bigger than than in some other industries definitely helped us a lot none of that was by design that was kind of all by chance
0: I love it that's um, it's very impressive. Very impressive for sure. Do you share any financial numbers at all? I know you mentioned 25,000 active users. Is it safe to say like times that by 29?
1: Um, no. Does. So like we obviously, I mean, it's pretty different. Like we, we, our pricing has changed a lot over time. So we we started off charging kind of like $10 per user per month. And now our kind of like published pricing is up to about $48 per user per month. Um, there's, um, there's a lot... <laughs> You, you can ask me some questions about pricing later if you like, because there's a lot of uh, bad and good stories I could probably tell you about that. But um, it's, um, it's certainly, yeah, our portfolio is, is definitely mixed in terms of like the margin that we make on, on different customers. Our next kind of like big revenue milestone, um, it, which I'm hoping that we'll hit either this year or potentially next year, is the 10 mil kind of like revenue mark. So that's kind of like where, where we're shooting for next to give you a sense of like how big we are.
0: Nice, that's awesome. Good stuff. Um, all right, perfect. So that that definitely paints a, a nice clear picture. Um, what about your ideal customer? Like, do you have an ideal customer profile essentially, or the type of company uh, you attract?
1: Yeah, that's a really great question, and it's actually something I'm talking about with the team. It's kind of the reason why I'm in Portland here because. Uh, all of our uh, developers and marketers and product managers are based in sydney but a lot of our business as you would imagine is in the u.s so our office here in portland is staffed with mostly um, a few salespeople and then a lot of customer success uh, people and one of the things we're talking about is like who is our ideal customer and it's i think it's one of those things that you're supposed to know upfront, and you're kind of meant to gear your whole business around that and your product around it but the truth is um we i, I mentioned earlier that our Our customer base is really diverse. Um, So not only are they spread out all over the world, we've got everything from like tiny startups using it through to like a a decent percentage of the Fortune 500 here in America are uh, customers as well. So really diverse. We've even got, you know, a couple of countries are using Cascade to to run their strategy at a kind of a government level, Um, you know, really diverse kind of like customer base. That's a good thing. um, But it also kind of presents a challenge when you're trying to figure out who your core customer is because You're seeing pockets of success in a lot of different places. But at the same time, you're still relatively small in the big picture. And so it's hard to kind of say categorically, okay, you know, 70% of our core customers are getting success, who are getting success fall into this group. Um, So it's been a really ongoing debate. And I think we've probably waited a little too long to, to decide for sure who our core customer is. And I think this year is the first year we can kind of answer that question. So with that long introduction, let me actually answer your question. Um, and I think our core customer, what we have realized is that strategy kind of falls into two camps, like business strategy, even personal strategy, you could argue. There's kind of the, the theoretical side of strategy. There's the, the intellectual side where you're doing a lot of, data-led, you know, long-term forecasting, you're doing like scenario planning. Um, There's kind of like that side of strategy and there's people who really enjoy that. And then there's the more kind of like pull your sleeves up, figure out what you want to do and then get on with it as quick as possible. So very much kind of, I, I guess, more like the kind of bootstrap type of people or people who maybe started their own business, people who are a bit more entrepreneurial. And what we're realizing is that the customers that get success with strategy execution software, at least the flavor that we provide, are the ones who are in that that kind of like second category. So the ones who um, they want software to help them structure their thinking and, and make a plan, and they want software to kind of like email them once a month and say, hey, how's this goal going? Okay, make sure you update this. Here's a task list, which is all the kind of things that our software does. They're not necessarily looking for something that's really intellectual or is really kind of like complicated around different methodologies. Um, And they almost want the software to kind of like get out of the way sometimes and let them get on with their business and then just come in when they're starting to fall behind on their goals. And so that's what we find works really well. Um, It doesn't necessarily translate to a specific type of company. It's more like the type of person within the company. Um, So we work really well with doers, um, less good with people who just want to talk about strategy, uh, you know, in in a more kind of like general sense.
0: Makes sense. Uh, that's a, that's a great breakdown, but I think it's also very important like to, to understand your ideal customer profile and really like, you know, segment and niche it down as much as possible. Cause I think that also, uh, really improves like the messaging and the marketing and helps you, uh, get to those people a lot faster and, and be more relatable. So, um, Definitely. Yeah, it's, I think, uh, I think a lot of companies, uh, struggle with that, uh, especially early on. Okay. Um, i'd love to take it back to the beginning you know i as you've already mentioned like your team has grown pretty significantly bootstrapped uh you know close to 10 million in annual recurring revenue hopefully uh, this year uh, offices and then three different continents around the world so a lot of growth um, a lot of my listeners are early stage uh, founders with hopes of reaching the heights you're at so you touched upon it uh, earlier, but what did the early days look like? Uh, like, was was this always the vision, or did that sort of evolve as time passed?
1: Um, I mean, it, it definitely evolved a lot. Like, we, I think, because we started off quite naively, um, we sort of assumed that we could build a piece of software um, in in the enterprise space. And that we would have um, customers who were paying us 50K a year or 100K a year or even like 200K a year in ARR each. And that would happen, you know, pretty quickly as long as we could get one or two runs on the board. And what we found was that obviously that's really hard. Um, You know, any kind of like decent sized company is going to think twice about buying 50K of software, 100K of software off a, a small startup. And we did remarkably well in that space. I think because we were very tech-focused, you know, we, we got a lot of kind of um, compliance and certifications and security testing on our, on our software done really early in our life stage. And that helped us a lot. It helped us get a couple of big-name companies that we could then use as reference companies for other people. So we really over-invested in infrastructure and in the quality of our documentation Um, And I think that that helped a lot, but it was still a really hard thing to do to try to penetrate that market. And one of the things we found early on is that we were finding ourselves going head to head against a lot of the HR software providers, which was not really our intention. But when you think about strategy, strategy is made up of essentially goals, and a lot of companies already have some kind of goal management software, which is often the same one they use for like performance management appraisals. And that really wasn't what we wanted to do. But we sort of thought, well, okay, that's where the budget is. You know, they've already got a 200K budget for uh, an HR software. Let's try and get a piece of that. Um, And I think that's kind of like conventional wisdom. You know, you go where the budgets are and and you try and get a piece of it. And it really didn't work very well for us at all because obviously being bootstrapped, we had no way to compete from a marketing perspective. We had no brand recognition whatsoever. Um, And we were just getting destroyed. You know, we, we would get these tiny little booths at these HR conferences and it was just horrible. We, you know, we, you know, we were stuffed in a corner and we were too scared to talk to anyone. And we were like, we think our software is better, but like, we just don't feel like worthy because all these big spending companies are all around us. And it kind of put us off a little bit. And we decided to invert the business model. Um, and the truth is, you know, we got to a point where I think we got our first customer after three months. Our second customer was like six months later. Our third customer was six months after that. And so it was pretty demoralizing, kind of like going through, um, you know, months and months of not acquiring any customers and, and not growing the business, particularly given we were reliant on that for payroll. Um, so we, we basically, through desperation, I think, completely inverted our, our marketing strategy and went more towards the individual. And we launched like a pretty aggressive inbound content marketing strategy, um, mostly leveraged off our blog initially. And then we added a few... Cheat sheets, downloads, KPIs, uh, KPI booklets, things like that. And we managed to kind of grow a mailing list of people who are interested in strategy. Um, It's about 130K people on the mailing list now. Um, Really, really big mailing list, and, and it doesn't convert at a really high percentage. But what we do find is that by appealing to individuals, we are able to secure some of those bigger enterprise deals. They don't necessarily always start off at 100K. They might start off at 40K or 50K and we're kind of like, you know, our customers are like begging and borrowing and stealing budget from other areas. But then once the software goes in, we kind of expand and eventually people start potentially replacing their HR software with Cascade, even though that's not its core. Um, So we we really had to kind of like get realistic about who we could target with a marketing strategy and switch to like this land and expand approach rather than trying to swing big and, and get the big deals up front.
0: So, so that's interesting. You, you sort of touched on what I wanted to uh, to ask you next, you know, you know, a common question I get from early stage founders is about gaining that traction early on, which you just talked about. So uh, if we can just unpack that maybe like, so how did you actually manage to get your early customers early on? Like what did sales actually look like? Was it from your existing tap into your existing network or, you know, yeah. what exactly did you do?
1: So, I mean, the very first one was network. Um, So the very first one is like a six K ARR deal. It really didn't do a lot, but it feels like a big deal, you know, when you, when you've got nothing. Um, So the first one was, was the contact. And honestly, it was someone who I think believed in, in me um, through the relationship we already had. And and they took a little bit of a chance on us. Um, And, the truth is, you know, they, they won't mind me saying this, like we, we were building that the product really almost to their specification because they were the first customer. And it was kind of not a great way to, to, to start in some ways, but it did get us off the mark. Um, after that, we started tapping in not so much to my network, but more, I suppose, to my it sounds terrible, but almost like some of the credibility that I had in in the financial service space in Australia. Um, So we weren't necessarily selling to people that I knew, but our our second customer was essentially a bank. Our third customer was uh, one of the the credit card schemes. Um, And, you know, the first four or five were in financial services, although not directly contacts. Um, After that, we sort of leveraged those names to, to actually go a little bit deeper um, and then, pretty early on, I'd say maybe by the, the seventh or the eighth customer, we opened up um, a free trial version of the product um, online that people could self service, which is a little unusual for like a kind of a 50K sticker price type of product. Um, and it honestly didn't work that well. We probably only converted like one out of every. 50 people that actually started a free trial over the course of several months. Um, but it was enough to kind of get the, you know, the sixth customer, the seventh customer. And we pretty much continued like that until about customer number 20, which is when we started thinking about marketing in a real way. And, and we launched the blog and the mailing list.
0: Love it. Okay. That, that's awesome. Um, so fast forward to today, like how, how's your sales process evolved since then? Like, are there any specific growth or marketing channels that are working best for cascade right now? I know you mentioned content marketing. Is that still the primary channel you'd say?
1: It is. So honestly, we're still a hundred percent inbound focused. Um, so we get, I would say nine, to be fair, 98%, not hundred percent, 98% of our customers come through inbound. So a really typical journey, like if you, if you hit up Google and type in something like how to write a vision statement or how to engage employees with strategy, um we are like number one, number two from an SEO perspective for some really generic things. Um and, and the blog post that we wrote kind of like managed to get to the top of, of Google for quite a lot of those those really generic terms. And that's awesome in terms of volume. We get like, you know, maybe I don't know, two and a half, three million people on our site per year. Um but obviously a lot of those people are not qualified. They're, they're students, um, you know, they're just people generally searching, we get a lot of consultants kind of come through. Um, so we we, we, we have a really broad digital footprint, but then we have to, we use um, HubSpot as our kind of like inbound marketing engine. We found that to be a pretty good tool for, for really honing in on the customers who are qualified and we qualify them based on, whether or not they're checking out our product demo. Um, We tried it. We use some enrichment uh, tools like Clearbit and a a few others to try and say, okay, who is this person? Um, Is this someone we want to talk to? And then we segment really aggressively. And then what we do is we we go, we take people through the kind of like typical funnel of saying, okay, this person's marketing qualified because they're doing the right stuff. Are they sales qualified? Like, you know, are they, do they have a job title that has management in there? do they work for a company that is, you know, maybe not just like a a one man band startup. Um, and eventually they make their way through to, um, a series of like sales qualified leads. Generally speaking, we'll wait for people to, uh, start a free trial or initiate a demo very occasionally. If there's someone that looks really juicy, one of our kind of sales team who are mostly inbound people, um, they'll actually reach out proactively and, and contact them, but that's still a very tiny percentage that the vast majority of people come in either through a free trial or, um, by requesting a demo of the product online.
0: And that's amazing. Okay, so um how many pieces of content do you guys put out like in a week or a month or mm-hmm. are, you, are you still banking on a lot of that generic those generic pieces that still perform very well?
1: So, I mean, the truth is the the core of the volume comes from probably I know six or seven content pieces, some of which are like five or six years old. Um, So we definitely, again, you could say we got lucky um, with some of those content pieces rising to the top top of Google. Obviously, there was a lot of thought that went into writing them to do that. But um, we still get a lot of volume from that. Um, we try to do a weekly blog post. So we, we do do a weekly blog post. I, I try to write the majority of them myself, although a few of the other team members do contribute, which is awesome. Um, so we try to push out one piece per week, um, and we try to do at least one kind of meaty piece of content each month. So whether that's like an ebook or, um, you know, a, a tool, like a, we have a lot of templates that we, we build where, you know, we, we're quite good with Excel, so we build these like cool templates that, prompt you to ask different questions about your business and then suggest KPIs that you might want to track based on what you're trying to achieve. Um, so we, we definitely still invest pretty heavily in it. Um, one of the things that we're going to be doing this year is, is really focusing in on that core customer piece in terms of our content. I think one of the things I'll say we've been guilty of in the past is we got addicted to the volume. So we were like, okay, we got 2 million people on the site this year. Let's get 3 million this year, 4 million the next year. And that is not the smartest strategy when when you're still pretty small like we are. Um, So yeah, as you rightly said earlier, this is going to be the year where we focus in on that core customer and make sure that we're tailoring the content a little bit more to those guys.
0: Yeah, okay. So that's that's very interesting. I'm curious, do you worry about those evergreen pieces that you mentioned, those six, seven pieces that where most of your traffic comes from? Um, Do you worry about those like no longer being relevant and sort of Google dropping them off the rankings? Mm -hmm.
1: Um, it's always there as a, as a thought. I think I I used to be more concerned about it than I am. um, because we, we didn't used to have as good visibility over where our customers were coming from. So what we would, we would kind of say, okay, all we know is that we had, you know, 25,000 website visits this week and we got X number of trials and we converted X number of customers and we weren't doing a great job of tracking where they were coming from. I think what we've now realized is that, whilst the 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 breadth of those articles is great particularly to get started because you kind of don't know what you what you don't know in the in the start so having a lot of data to work with is not a bad starting point but i'm now more and more confident with with the fact that we've got that attribution data that we could actually create new pieces of content which wouldn't necessarily rise to number 1 on google but would bring in almost the same amount of trials and customers that one of those really mass market appeal content pieces is bringing in now that hasn't really been tested yet because we've managed to evergreen those pieces pretty effectively and um you know we, but definitely we are seeing com- competitors are definitely targeting our keywords um that you know they've seen what we're doing as an inbound strategy working really well and we're definitely getting kind of like targeted by a few competitors so it is there as a worry um i know that we have the, the mailing list is the other insurance policy so because we've got like say nearly one hundred and fifty thousand people on that list we could survive from a funnel perspective for quite a few months just by kind of working that list a little bit harder and then give ourselves a little bit of time to, to recover some of those, those inbound kind of pieces. That's the plan. You know, obviously never say never, but like I feel okay about it, um, but it is always there as a, as a thought.
0: Yeah, it makes sense. Uh, but a very very uh, streamlined, very efficient sales process by the sounds of it. Um, how, how many sales folks do you have on the team?
1: So we have um, two inbound people sitting here in Portland um, and they basically field most of the free trials that come in and the demos um, from North America and a little bit of Europe. And then we have another two people sitting in our office in Sydney um, who do all of Australia and rest of world. Um, We do have a little bit of a, probably a little bit of a gap in Europe. Um, We do have quite a lot of customers in Europe, particularly the UK, as you'd expect. Um, We don't have a great sales presence there though. Um, So we are trying to kind of, grow out some of that capability in the in the middle of the map, if that makes sense.
0: Yeah, yeah, it makes sense. Okay, perfect. And do you still do the hiring at your company?
1: Um, mostly, yeah. I mean, I, I we have like a head of sales uh, and a head of customer success and a head of marketing. So we, we have like heads of in all of our core positions. Um, obviously, you know, young people, a lot of them it was their first job that, you know, this was, we hired them as interns and promoted them through. So, so it's a very young team. But Um, I try to let them lead the hiring. I I still get involved at least in some step, usually in the final interview. There's probably been a couple where I haven't, but generally speaking, I I still try to be involved. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Nice. Uh, Sort of touching on that, like, you know, having such a global presence, both of customers and team members, um, how do you, how do you keep everyone aligned and just maintain that cohesiveness amongst your team?
1: It feels like a, that question feels like a setup because that's literally um, what our software does, of course. (laughs) Um, So thank you for that. Um, You know, the the whole purpose of of Cascade as a software product is that you have a a single strategic plan um, and each person then owns a series of goals, whether that's projects or KPIs that sit underneath those those high-level objectives that we agree to as a company. Um, And one of the great things about the software, of course, is that as people complete those projects, you know, ticking off tasks or, you know, updating a KPI um, within their own area, they instantly see the impact that that has on the overall strategy of the company so that the system kind of like auto calculates how the completion of your projects is basically taking us closer to our objectives, which are the the kind of strategic goals. Um, And so by, by giving that really strong visual connection it kind of like motivates everyone around the outcomes, even though they're not necessarily owning the outcomes, they can see how they contribute to them. And it really kind of like helps drive alignment around those. So when we're talking about objectives, people are saying, okay, I completed this project this month and that took us, you know, 20% closer to achieving our goal of being, you know, the market leader in this particular area. Um, So the software really helps us do that a lot. Um, It was obviously designed Almost for ourselves, like we, we try to be the biggest proponents of our own tool um, and it's definitely like helped us stay focused as a company. And, you know, we, we haven't always been perfect, don't get me wrong, but I think without the ability to, to log into Cascade once a month as a team and review our progress, um, you know, it would have been a lot harder with with, uh, you know, such a remote team.
0: Yeah, you're right. That was a little segue for uh, sort of expected that type of answer. But, um, you know, from a from a more of a metrics perspective, specifically, uh, you know, you know, again, being a company who, who offers solutions to help companies with their strategy. Um, I'd be curious to hear from you again, from a metrics point of view, like how do you measure success at Cascade? Like what are the maybe two, three metrics that are important to you right now?
1: Sure thing. So we, again, in Cascade, one of the features that we have is um, a dashboarding tool. So it's kind of similar to like a a business um, intelligence tool like Microsoft Power BI, but obviously with a a strategic focus. And we've got a dashboard that we have called our Bigger Picture Dashboard. And that dashboard is basically, if you think about a dashboard with kind of widgets sitting on there, there's basically kind of like three main rows to the dashboard. Um, One is for um, essentially kind of like customer acquisition. That's like the top row. And we track metrics like um, number of people at the top of the funnel. So how many people are hitting the website? That's metric number one. In fact, metric number two is then uh, marketing qualified leads, sales qualified leads, number of free trials, number of demos. Um, And that's kind of like our top line statistics. And then like the second row of the dashboard is kind of what happens next with those customers. So then we start tracking different things like Um, organic growth of accounts, like how much are accounts growing on their own. We track NPS, of course, or not, of course, but we we choose NPS as a way of kind of tracking customers. Uh, We track like monthly active user rate, uh, daily active user rate, so a bunch of things around like how active people are in the product. Um, And then the third row is kind of like the outcomes. So that's where we're starting to track things like obviously total ARR, um, LTV, uh, average tenure of a customer, And then year over year growth. Uh, So, the very last metric that we track on that dashboard, I think it's like metric number 13, is um, year over year growth in percentage terms. And obviously, as a a startup, we're trying to keep that number as high as possible, ideally somewhere between like 50 to 100% year over year uh, for as long as we can. I
0: love that. I love the structure of of the setup of the dashboard. Um, So, you mentioned that's one of the features. Like, does that connect with like, you know, a a payment processor or how does that look?
1: Yeah, it does. So each one of those widgets is connected via integration to a different tool. So a bunch of the marketing ones, as you'd expect, um, we use our integration to Google Analytics. Um, we also integrate with HubSpot. Um, we, we integrate directly, but also via platforms like um, Zapier. Uh, and of course, you can do direct API to API integration. So, yeah, there's a lot of marketing tools that we use in the top part. In the middle part, we integrate with tools like Intercom, Um, and our NPS tool, we use like a customer success tool called PlanHat at the moment. And then on the bottom, um, we integrate with our accounting tools. So for us, that's uh, zero. Um, And then we also integrate with a couple of spreadsheets, uh, like Google Sheets, which just automatically push updates to cascade every time the, the cell changes. And that's just for some of the manual stuff that we need to calculate, like some of the LTV calculations can be a bit difficult to get out in the format you want. So sometimes you rely on a good old spreadsheet integration to get that
0: working. Yeah. You know, that makes sense for sure. But yeah, you're right. I I find a lot of those uh, SAS specific metrics like LTV, um, you know, you do your research on it. You might, you might find like five or 10 different calculations for it. Um, but I find, uh, yeah, the good old fashioned spreadsheet for those tend to work best. Um, this is usually a difficult question for most people to answer just switching gears a little bit but you know as a ceo of a growing company very successful you're probably wearing multiple hats and, and being pulled into multiple directions but what does a typical day look like for you as a ceo of cascade um a good
1: question i think i'll give you the most I'll give you the most honest personal answer i can can you still hear me? Okay, sorry. I please,
0: gotta, gotta yeah, yeah please, first. please.
1: Do you want me to start that again?
0: Yeah, go ahead. Yeah,
1: cool. <laughs> so yeah, it's a bit of a difficult question to answer, as you say, but I'll, I'll try and give you a very um, time relevant, pertinent answer. Um, one of the things that I do, which I know is a really bad habit uh, and has come from, you know, bootstrapping, I think, from day one and, and being really hands on is I still do a lot of things that are um, really quite uh, small and menial. So I'll kind of like go in in the morning and I'll like try and fix up a lot of errors that might've come in overnight with some of our sinks in our accounting system or various other things. Um, and I do that almost as like a kind of like therapeutic way of like starting the day. Um, and I'm trying to get away from doing that because it's really not the best use of my time. And I'm trying to kind of like step back and, and be a little bit more strategic. Um, so what I'm trying to do is actually start my day instead of looking at like the systems, actually look at cascade, look at our strategy and basically say, okay, what do I need to do today in order to move one of our objectives forward? Um, so I'm trying to kind of like force myself to be as strategic as possible. I think it's a personal problem. I have. I think it's a lot of a problem a lot of kind of founders have when they, they started off small, um, and I'm trying to, again, use the system to, to force me to do that. Um, so that often then results in me kind of like going around and asking a lot of questions of people and bugging people and saying, Hey, I was thinking we needed to improve some of our engagement, you know, of our smaller customers. What could I, what could we do to do that? And people are just like, leave me alone. I'm working on this epic or whatever. Um, so I'm definitely kind of like being a bit more of a pain in the ass than I used to be. Uh, but I, I also think it's probably the right thing. So um yeah, that's that's kind of what I'm trying to do. Um I'm trying to avoid getting too involved in too many sales meetings and things like that, really empowering the team more and more in, in that sort of stuff. But obviously I do sometimes get called into to some of the bigger clients as well.
0: Yeah, you know, I, I don't think you're alone in that. Um, you know, I, I think I'm guilty of the same thing again, coming from a similar bootstrapped, you know, smaller background. Uh you still find yourself getting caught up in, in, in those granular things. Uh, but it's interesting how, how you put it—sort of therapeutic. Uh, mm. it's, a, it's a nice way to put it. <laughs>
1: yeah, that's um, it. It's um, I, you know, and this is why I'm, I'm a little torn about it because on the one hand, I know I shouldn't be doing it. On the other hand, I, I, I like to tinker, um, and I, I sort of feel like if I take all of those things that I enjoy away, you know, will I still enjoy running the business? So I'm still kind of like figuring out that balance. But I know that I need to get more and more strategic as the business grows.
0: Yeah, fair enough for sure. Um, curious as well. So, other than your own tool Cascade, which, which uh, you know you obviously use internally, but um, any other favorite tools or apps you use or your team uses to stay productive and efficient that you want to share?
1: Yeah, sure. So, I mean, our stack is, um, like, HubSpot definitely plays a a really big part in it. Um, So, we use that for our CMS. um, We use that for our sales. We use the CRM in there. uh, And we use the marketing tool. So, we we do, don't get me wrong, that tool is not perfect and is pretty expensive. And I don't actually recommend that smaller startups start with that. I think you can achieve most of the stuff and get the learnings you need using WordPress and a bunch of other things, and you know, comparable. Uh, But I think at our level... Um, it, it's starting to make sense. So HubSpot's a pretty good one. Um, we use um, we started to use we use um, Hull uh, as our kind of Hull.io is our like customer data tool, so that kind of like centralizes all of our data in and out. Um, so that's been pretty good. Um, and then we we use we obviously use Intercom. I think everyone a lot of people use Intercom um, to, to kind of like stay connected to our customers um funnily enough this probably is an anno- annoying answer but i've actually tried to kind of like use fewer and fewer tools because i found that often you can get a bit addicted to trying different tools and kind of like thinking that they're going to solve your problem when actually the problems you have are way more fundamental. They're about your story or, or your, you know, your, your core customer. So I've been trying to wean myself off experimenting with tools, um, quite deliberately in the last year or so, because again, it's, it kind of plays to my nature to tinker a little bit. Um, so I've tried to to do that less and less, which is probably counterintuitive to the question, but, Um, yeah, we, we've definitely settled on a few core ones like HubSpot, PlanHat, Hull. Um, and then we use things like Chargebee for our billing, but nothing too crazy. Um, yeah, we've tried to go back to basics a little bit.
0: No, I'm totally with you on that. You know, one thing I do maybe once or twice a year is actually like line by line, see exactly what other SaaS apps we use internally. And most of the time we can either like get rid of them, use another product that can do something similar for a much cheaper price, maybe downgrade. I think it's really easy to get sort of, um, you know, SAS hungry and just like tinker with different apps and trying testing different tools that you think are going to help you but you know after taking a step back you realize you know what don't really need this and generally that can save easily a few thousand dollars uh, in a year um, yeah by doing that quick little audit
1: absolutely I, yeah you can save money and i think you can also get a bit more real about your problems often tools tools aren't your problem if you've got a problem uh, as a SaaS company it ain't tools uh it's something else the tools are just like the icing on the cake
0: Exactly. Love that. Love that. Um Tom, I do want to be mindful of your ta- time. Um, I do end off each chat with what I call the founders three. You ready? Sure. All right. Uh number one, your favorite business book.
1: I hate it when people ask me that question because I feel like such an illiterate fool. I basically don't read anything at all. Um, but what I tend to do is I, I read the, the, the kind of like trashiest sci-fi fiction that I can find to, to distract myself from business. So it's, again, apologies, an unsatisfying answer.
0: Okay, not bad. Do you, do you listen to like podcasts or anything?
1: I do. Yeah. So I I listen to a bunch of uh, startup podcasts, um, just to try and stay close to that startup world, because we're so out of it not having investors. But um, yeah, that's about it.
0: All right, cool. Uh, Number two, your favorite vacation spot?
1: Well, we just came back from Maui uh, in Hawaii. And I got to say, there's very few places as as perfect uh, as that. And I, you know, I live in Australia. So uh, that's high praise.
0: Yeah, tough to tough to top Hawaii, that's for sure. And um, lastly, if you can go back, what's the one thing you wish you knew when you were just starting out in business?
1: When I was just starting out in business, I wish that I had um, got out of the corporate world a little bit earlier. I I wish that I had learned as much as I could have done and then got out at the age of like 28, 29. Not that I wouldn't stop learning, but I feel like at that age I could have, you know, stepped away and, and gone into the startup space where you just learn uh, running a startups, like an MBA on steroids. Um, so I kind of wish I'd done that sooner and I think it would have made me even better if I ever wanted to go back to the corporate world.
0: Love it. Awesome. All right, Tom, thank you so much. Uh, you know, this was such an insightful, very informative chat. I think a lot of people are going to get a ton of value. So thank you so, so much. I'm glad we were able to connect and, um, uh, Wish you continued success uh, for the new year, new decade. And I uh, hope we can do this again sometime. Awesome. Thanks, Gus. I really appreciate it. It's been fun. All right. All right, Tom. Tom, all the best. Yeah, bye. Thank you so much for listening. If you have any comments, questions or suggestions, I would love to hear it. Be sure to check out founderviews.com for my latest posts and episodes on my journey with everything SaaS, business and startups. Talk to you later. Peace.